Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. Today, I am very excited to have on Dr. Tim Jordan, who is a developmental and behavioral pediatrician. He is also the author of She Leads, Raising Girls Who Advocate, Influence, and Lead. In this book, Dr. Tim reveals practical common sense guidance gleaned from his experience working with girls. He is an international speaker and consultant and founder of the camp Wilokai for girls and is also the brother of five sisters. Did I say the camp Nate correctly? You did. And it's five younger sisters even. Oh, five younger sisters. Five. Yeah, two older, yeah, two older brothers and then me and then five girls. Wow. Your mom had eight kids? <laughs> eight <did>. kids. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. So yeah. So, well, maybe we can start there. Can you talk about how having five younger sisters kind of influenced your work and how you view the world? Well, especially not only were they younger, five of them younger, but the last two were nine and 10 years younger. And so the, the, the first three girls were all like a year apart. And then there was a gap. And so even from a young age, I was taking care of girls. I was babysitting and my dad worked long hours trying to, you know, keep up with eight kids. And so I was like their second dad. So I've been like a dad to girls literally my whole life, it seems like. And I think it, it helped me to learn how to be around girls and to be safe and uh, just know how to be around them. I think even when I went to college, I was one of those guys who could go to the girls' dorm and hang out. And, you know, I think the girls just felt like I was I was safe. Yeah, how nice. Well, speaking of that, I, I actually want to jump into something that you wrote about in your book and that I'm curious for you to say more about. You talk about this notion of a female brain and how it's wired. And I'm curious, do you, do you literally think there's, there is a female brain or different wiring or different structural differences in structure in the brain of a female versus a male? Oh, sure. That's, that's not like what I think. It's what I've read. And there's lots of research and things. And one of the things I teach girls in my retreats and camps is that their brains are wired to ruminate in the sense. Because when, when emotions come up in the female brain, and their, their nine emotional centers light up and they start to feel, two other parts of their brain then activate. Their verbal centers and a part of their prefrontal cortex that likes to process through things. So what happens for a lot of girls, most girls, a lot of girls, is that something happens. Like, for instance, they're at home on a Saturday night not doing anything, and they look, they look on Instagram and they see a picture of, their, of her two best friends at a sleepover. And they weren't invited. So then they start thinking, oh, I wonder why they didn't invite me. And then here comes the cascade, right? Well, maybe they don't like me as much. Or maybe they're going to keep me out of the group. Or maybe they're becoming best friends. And they go from, wow, I saw a picture on Instagram to I'm this lonely loser with no friends. I'm going to show up at school on Monday, have nobody to sit with, and it's going to be horrible. So they ruminate, worst case, a lot. More so than boys. And I think it's because of that wiring. Interesting. So, okay, let me just deviate a little. So a boy sees pictures on Instagram of a you know, a bunch of kids doing something and they weren't invited, what happens to their brain? But when, when males, when their emotional centers activate, what happens is their verbal centers don't activate and their prefrontal cortex doesn't activate. A different part of their brain activates called the temporal parietal junction. And it's the part of the brain that likes to fix problems. So a lot of girls complain, if I go to my dad and I'm upset, he goes right to, well, just do this. Or just, you know, why are you still friends with her? Why don't you just do that? They go right into fix-it mode. I think a lot of spouses would probably say, I know what how that feels. And that's because that's what their brain does. And when the temporal parietal junction activates and men go into problem solving, the, the emotional centers in their brain die out. They stop feeling. 
And I think, you know, evolutionary psychologists apparently have, have tried to figure out, well, why is that wired so different? And men, uh, historically, for 150,000 years were the hunters and the gatherers. We were out there doing those things. This is not 2021, uh, but our brain is still wired for prehistoric times. And so when men were out hunting and gathering, we had to be in the moment doing one thing at a time, and we could not allow our emotions to cloud our judgment. And I think that may be why our brains are wired differently, one reason why they're wired differently. I love that you just explained that because we do all know that typically males are more problem solvers and females are more verbal kind of processors. And I talk about that actually in Mommy Burnout, a section, uh, an entire chapter that I have about, you know, marital relationships and all that. But I really did not know about that temporal parietal junction that that was connected in this way. And so this is really interesting to me because like you're saying, it's not just the thought or what you've seen or observed, but it, it is actually the way our brains are wired. As I'm sure you've, you've discovered in your work, a lot of girls ruminate and a lot of girls have negative self-talk. Boys can have negative self-talk too, but I think it's more, it's worse for girls. I've been working with girls for a long time, over 30 years, and I've, I've seen them struggling with, you know, trying to get in charge of their self-talk. They tend to worst case, not everything, but they tend to worst case things a lot. Um, and it's because they ruminate. Um, and I think it, it becomes a huge um, piece of why their self-esteem seems sometimes go down in the middle school and high school years is because of all the things they're saying to themselves. Yeah, so good. You know, in that vein, you have this section or I think a whole chapter in your book about how girls and women can give their power away. And I would love to know more of your thoughts about that um, because I will tell you as a, as a woman and as somebody who, you know, works on these things, I related to some of these things on the list. Like this isn't just a girl issue. This is also a woman issue. This is a human issue. So I'd love for you to talk about just some of those ways that girls can give their power away. Yeah. You know, I've had that feedback a lot from moms since the She Leads book came out, which is that while I related so much, this is just not about my daughter. I I realized and became aware of how many places in my life I, I was giving my power away. I had no idea. I wasn't really aware. So it's just things like, it's I think everything I'm going to say is not about every girl or every woman. It's, it's more of a generality, but I think it holds pretty true. I, when I ask a teenage girl, for instance, if someone, one of your friends says, hey, where do you want to go out to dinner tonight? A very typical automatic response is, I don't care. Or what do you want? And it's not wrong to say that. It's just that though it becomes automatic. And so they, they don't tend to put their needs out there. And because of that, people, you know, they've taught people that your needs aren't as important as mine. And what happens over time is not only does what you have to say and what you need, why that's less important, but I'm not very important. So I teach girls that, you know, that's, that's one way to give their power away is by not just saying, this is what I want, putting their needs out there. Girls have a really hard time handling their conflicts uh, directly. They're so afraid of losing a friend. So if I'm upset with you because you said something to me yesterday, I will stew on it all night. And then I'm afraid if I confront you tomorrow, you'll get mad. And if you get mad, I might lose you as a friend. And not only might I lose you as a friend, you may take the whole group away. And then I'll be alone. And I ruminate that, right? I'll have no friends. And so I just suck it up. And I'll say things like, oh, no big deal. I don't really care. And they smile and act like it's no big deal. But it's there. And when my wife and I, we have a school program called Strong Girls, Strong World. We'll go into schools and work with classrooms of girls. And we have them sitting in circles and we give them steps to resolve conflicts peacefully. We'll ask, you know, for a volunteer. We've never in 25 or 30 years of that, never had some, uh, not somebody say, I'll do it. 
they come in the middle and they and the one person will say, I felt really hurt or sad when you said this or did this. And it's interesting that sometimes, many times, most times, it's something that happened like two or three or four years ago. And they acted like it was no big deal, but they they hung on to it, the feeling part of it. So they've been avoiding each other or giving each other, you know, rolling their eyes at each other and all, all kinds of drama erupts because of that, because the feelings are still there and they fester. And so one way the girls do give their power away a lot is they don't just handle conflicts directly because of their fear of losing friends, um, not speaking up for themselves, not advocating. So many girls, and I think this is true for women as well, have a hard time knowing the difference between being assertive versus being aggressive. If I do role plays at my retreats and summer camps with girls in grade school, middle school, high school, and we give them a scenario about, about somebody just setting a boundary, like a normal boundary setting, most of the girls think that was being mean. And that's, and so they're, again, they're so afraid of disappointing people, making people angry, people not liking them, that they end up not setting boundaries because they don't know the difference between being assertive and aggressive. So we need to teach them that. Yeah. Don't you think that this actually has been passed down generationally? Like, I feel like grandmothers are this way, then their mothers are this way, then the girls are this way. This is something I work with as much with women as I do girls. The word even confrontation, you know, has a negative connotation. And I'm like, well, no, to confront something means you're just going to address it. It doesn't mean it has to be hostile. It's just you need to address this. What do you, you talk about the difference between being passive, assertive, and aggressive. Does that have to do with kind of this line of thinking, what you're talking about right now, to kind of giving power away as well? Yeah, let me give you an example. There's a, a girl in one of the schools who worked with a few years ago who was, uh, we were doing the circle about uh, after lunch one day, and we said, anybody have a conflict they want to resolve with somebody in the class? And this girl said, yes, I do. She asked a girl to come in the middle. She did. Well, apparently at their school, each day, one of the tables of girls is responsible for cleaning off all the tables after lunch. And this particular day, it was this one girl's table. And one of her girls from her table was not helping out. She was talking to other people. So she went over and said, hey, it's our, it's our turn to clean the tables. You need to help out. And the girl gave her like that, you know, look <laughs> and rolled her eyes and, and then walked away. So this girl now is feeling bad. She thinks I was being mean. I overstepped my bounds. I shouldn't have said that. So she said to the girl, I just wanted to know if you're okay. I, I didn't mean to be you know, mean or aggressive or something. So here's a girl who is being an incredibly strong leader, right? She's holding her friend accountable and she did it respectfully, but she's now doubting herself because of the all that good girl conditioning. It says, you know, don't stand out, not too much, not too this, not too that. And so she's worried about it was I being too aggressive? So we, they just need education. And I always suggest to parents role play a lot at home. There's situations that come up, say, show me what you did. Show me what you said and how you said it. And notice their body language. Notice their tone of voice. And did they look at the other person in the eye and blah, blah, blah. So they just need skills. It's like a muscle. They just need to practice it. I can't agree with you more. I even have a situation where um, it's, it, you were talking about a school program where I see how much... So I have a personal situation. I have a 13-year-old daughter, but I also see other schools where some reason the schools also don't always know how to how to facilitate this, how to how to help the girls with conflict, especially in middle and high school. It feels like we're pretty good, I think, in the education system, like maybe K-1-2 when it's, you know, feels more elementary, like, oh, let's sit down and talk to your friend and, you know, tell them how your feelings were hurt or something. And then something happens in third or fourth grade and up where... We, we lose that ability to help these girls facilitate conflict. And part of my thought was always, or has been, 
that because they're not good at it either. Like, this is what I mean about this generational, like this gets yeah. passed down. I think you're right. I think that's part of it. And the other part that my wife and I have found when schools call us and they'll say, we need some help, our sophomore class is falling apart, or our seventh grade girls are a mess and there's drama. We'll, we'll say we need to come in the first time for maybe an hour and a half, and then maybe an hour uh, every couple of weeks for a few months. We need, and the schools look at us like we had three heads. Oh, we can't give that kind of time away. You know, they want us to come in for like a half hour and, and solve all this. And it's like, no, these girls need some some awareness. They need some skills. This is stuff that's going to happen. There's, a you know, 300 or 200 or 100 girls in, in your school, and they're going to bump into each other. They're going to step on each other's toes. So they just need a time to step back and get in a circle and say, how are we doing? What do we want? What are our intentions for our community? And how can we support each other? And how can we uh, hold each other accountable? If you don't give them that time, there's going to be lots of of drama. Yeah, I agree. You're right. It's like finding the time you have to carve it in. It has to be like a value or foundation to the curriculum. And, and translating that to home, there has to be time for it at home as well. So to right to either talk about it either as a family, do we have conflict within our family or being able to check, check in with your daughter around how's it going? How are their communication skills? How are the girls? How, whatever's happening? I mean, do you, do you talk about how to carve that time out at home as well? Sure. We always encourage parents to have family meetings every week. And, and the earlier you start, the easier it is. If you start when they're 17, it's a little bit of a harder sell, perhaps. But if you start when they're six or five or eight or something, and once a week, the family sits down, and, you, and there's a process we, we teach parents. But, but the bottom line is, we're here to talk as a family. And we're here to work things out. We're here to plan things. And we're going to learn how to listen to each other and create win-win agreements. And as parents, we want to give you guys as much say-so as we can. We're going to make agreements together. And then we're going to talk about following through with things. If you do that up front, then you avoid so many of the power struggles. And if there's a, a conflict between two siblings or there's something the child wants from you different, that's the form. And so everybody learns how to listen to each other. We teach kids how to mirror. So what I heard you say is blah, blah, blah. Did they get that right? Okay, tell me more. And both people state their needs. Both people hear each other's needs. And only then can you really create a win-win where both people walk away saying, that works for me. But you have to hear each other's needs first. And again, that's a skill. That's a muscle that just needs to be developed. They just need practice. And I, that's what they need in school as well. And schools have to, like you said it very well, they have to value it. When we get a principal who says, this is important, I get it, I get social emotional learning, I know how important it is, I know that if we do this, everything goes better, their grades will be better, blah, blah, blah. When, when it comes from the top, it's, it's, a, it's easy. They let us have the time and things get way better. It's when they when you get a principal or somebody at the head who says, well, I don't know, you know, we have testing coming up and blah, 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 then, you know, we realize this is going to be an uphill climb. Yeah. So how do you, we, you and I have just spent a lot of time talking about sort of, you know, communication and conflict resolution. How does that apply to the leaders that girls can eventually become or even their image and vision of themselves as a leader or not a leader? Well, one of the things that, that I think parents need to do a better job of is noticing times when girls show uh, courage, when they show leadership and beyond the, the more obvious things, I, when, if, I'm, if I'm sitting down with a group of girls who are in grade school, middle school, high school, and I'll ask them, who are the leaders in your school? The typical answers are the student council president, the captain of the team, the queen bee, the popular girl, 
you know, that's what they'll say. If I say, who are the heroes in our culture? They say the same thing. You know, first responders, police, firemen, soldiers, maybe a professional athlete. And so most girls don't fit that that role, right? Most girls don't see themselves like that. But there's so many ways that they are showing leadership in schools that may be a little bit less noticed. Like the girls who, who wear what they want to wear and don't care what other people think. The girl who's really mature, who's a confidant for their friends, where everybody knows they're really safe, they're a good listener. The girls who are invested in making sure everybody is included. The kid who notices when somebody's sitting alone and says, hey, come, come and sit at our table. The girl who sets good boundaries, like the girl I mentioned before who held her friend accountable. There are so many ways that girls show that, but they're less noticed. And so I want us to start being more aware of all the different kinds of ways that girls show courage and leadership, to notice it and acknowledge it. Because if, you, if girls start to see themselves as leaders, there's a much better chance of them becoming a leader. And becoming a leader doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be president of the United States or something of that sort. It could mean that. I, I wish it would mean that. But what it means is you're, you're in charge of your life. You're in charge of yourself. You're in charge of your relationships. You're, you're really the person who's you know, interdirected and, and taking care of yourself and, and kind of being in charge of the direction of your life. I love that definition. I, I was uh, so hoping that you would say that because I do think that oftentimes people hear the word leader or leadership and they automatically assume, oh, you want to be the president of your student council. You want to be the captain of the team. Um, and you're talking about a lot more kind of covert ways that girls show leadership that we need to value. We need to notice yeah. um, and point and, out and, to them. And also there's, there's so many examples you'll see in a TV show, in a book that you're reading with your kids or with a movie or or they may bring home examples of things. You see things on the news. Or there's a story I tell girls a lot. One day, Buddha was sitting and talking to his followers, and this general from the army came storming up and started screaming at Buddha. Was yelling at him, and he was cursing. He was in his face, and Buddha just sat there, very quiet and calm, didn't react. And, this, and the, at one point, the general drew his sword. He threatened Buddha's life. He was screaming, and Buddha just sat there and did not lose his cool. He was very calm. Eventually, the, the general got frustrated put his sword back in, stomped off. And Buddha's followers said, why didn't you say something? He was threatening your life. He was screaming at you. He was in your face. You just sat there. And Buddha said, and very wisely, if someone offers you a gift and you refuse to accept it, to whom does the gift belong? And the followers said, well, it belongs to the person who was giving it. And he said, the same thing goes for your anger and other people's emotions. That's a way of being a strong, courageous leader. Now, that may not get fanfare, but there's lots of stories that, that you can look for and find in, in, in books and stories in the news where you can talk to your kids about that being a way of, of being a leader. And also ask your kids, have they ever seen kids who have been a leader that way or showed courage? Or have they ever done the same kind of thing? I love that story. It's such a good one and, and a hard one, right? When you have lower impulse control, when you're, you know, a tween or a teen and imagining yourself doing that is probably really difficult. But, you know, I think really helping them understand this notion about their own power and who controls it and who owns anger. And do you give it? Do you receive it? Like, I, I love I love all of that kind of languaging to, to support girls in their development. The other thing you talk about is social intelligence. And so can you talk to us about what that is compared to emotional intelligence and how that applies to girls in leadership? Well, just understanding yourself and other people, understanding what makes people tick. For instance, sometimes if we're working with a school, 
um, or maybe in our, our camps or retreats, we'll have the girls do a role play where they'll have uh, a girl sitting there with uh, three of her friends and there's one place open, like a lunch table. And a, a fifth girl will walk up and say, hey guys, can I sit down? And we tell the one girl who's the queen bee, we'll tell her, you tell her, no, there's no room and just act that way. And we tell the other three girls, just follow along with whatever the queen bee says. Just follow whatever she does. So the girl says, can I sit down? She says, no, there's no space. What? There's a space here. And the other girl says, yeah, you can't sit here, blah, blah, blah. And then the girl walks off upset. So then we, we pause and we'll say, why do you think people might act that way? Like, why would people go along with that person? They know it's not okay to, be, to leave people out. They know that, but they followed along anyway. Why do you think? So then we flesh out things like, well, they're afraid that they don't say, if they don't go along with the queen bee, they'll get kicked out of the group. Or they're afraid they'll be the next target or... You know, they'll have lots of reasons why. Then we'll say, why would that queen bee kind of person, why might they act that way? And we flush that out. And so we want them to get in the shoes of other people and get a sense of why would people act that way? There's usually a story about something. And then as a class, we'll have them then practice. We'll have that girl walk up and say, can I sit down? And the queen bee says, no, you can't. And then we have one of the girls show us a way where they could stand up for their friend. And then they'll show it. And then we'll stop. We'll say, what'd she do? Then we'll have two or three or four more girls show different ways. Again, it's that's they need practice. They need it's just social situations. They need lots of practice of, of knowing what's going on for people, getting other people's shoes. That's a really important piece. Getting other people's shoes and walking around in it. We have lots of exercises to help girls do that. So they start to be, become more empathetic. And if you're more empathetic, you understand people, you're much more likely to treat them differently, more kindly, more patiently, less judgmentally. And I think that those those are just some social, those are just lots of social skills that, that girls need practice with. I think that that really is the key. As sometimes when I'm working with my own clients, I'll say things like empathy or what you're talking about, you know, emotional and social intelligence. You want to, you want to think, I think as a parent that they're going to just develop it, that they're going to see it enough and they're just, it's going to develop. And for a lot of, we'll, we'll stick to girls, but for a lot of girls, it's just not like that. You have to teach it overtly and practice it and recheck in about that and adjust it. And I think that your, your book and what you're talking about really underscores that notion of practicing. Yeah. There was a, a study I, I read a long time ago. There was a couple, uh, Samuel and Pearl Oldener. They found people in Germany after World War II who were not Jewish, who had gone out of their way to help people who were Jewish you know, during the Holocaust. They had hid people in their cellars and all those kinds of things. And they were trying to get a sense of, is there some way that they were raised differently that allowed them to stand up when other people you know, did not? And one of the things that they found was those people had been parented differently. Their parents had used more reasoning, more like authoritative parenting, more reasoning, uh, explaining things. But they also, when when their kids made a mistake, like they said something disrespectful to somebody, they were really good about having their kids get in the shoes of the person they had hurt and seeing it from their point of view, which elicited feelings of guilt and empathy. But also because they felt that, because they felt that, they were much more likely to not want to repeat that that mistake because they got a sense of this is how the other person feels. So, so I think there's lots of ways for kids to start learning about that. On the other hand, really quickly, um, if there's somebody in their life who gets under their skin, this is true for adults too. Um, like there's somebody who just, when they see them, they're like, you know, this, just, they, this person really triggers me. We always have them do an exercise. We'll say with that person in mind, fill in the blanks where I see in that person that I also see in me is blank. 
because there's something that they're triggering inside of us that has nothing to do with them. Like I used to be turned off by guys who are really cocky and really, they would brag in my mind, you know, brag. And I realized um, that it was coming from a place where I was not taking care of myself enough. I wasn't being assertive enough. I, I grew up in that, in that home with eight kids. And so there was no speaking out. There was no advocating because you, you got shot down. So I realized I was, what was happening for me, my soft body who was advocating for themselves so well, instead of me saying, wow, that's really impressive. I'd like to be more like that. I said, what a jerk. Until I realized, ah, now I get why it's triggering me. So I worked on being more assertive and asking for what I wanted. And once I kind of cleaned that up a whole bunch, those people no longer triggered me. It wasn't about them. It was about my story. I think girls can do the same thing. They can learn, you know, what they're bringing to situations socially and why they might get triggered. What a great lesson, right? To be able to not just think that, but actually practice that to give them a lesson of, oh, okay, you can name the person and why, and then what do you have in common with them? I love that. I'm going to use that. Um, So I think I could talk to you for a lot, lot longer, but... Where can people buy your book? And if you had a closing thought you wanted to share with everyone around um, your book, She Leads, what would you what would you share? Well, our website is just uh, www.drtimjordan.com, like drtimjordan.com. So they can get our information about my books and my podcasts and my retreats, blah, blah, all those kinds of things. And the book is found on Amazon and all the places you would normally find books. Um, and uh, as far as a, I'll, I'll, if I can also say this, we, my wife and I create a, an online course this past year during COVID, like I think a lot of us did. And it was about girls and their emotional life and their friendship life. And uh, I think it's a really good course. You can find that also on our, on our website about, it's about called Raising Daughters. Can I and ask so, about that? Is that for certain ages or all ages of girls? It's, it's pretty much all ages. I could, we cover a lot of bases. It's 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 a very full course. Half the course is about girls' emotional life. The other half is about girls' social lives and understanding it at a deeper level and also giving parents lots of tools and, and skills about how they can maybe help support their daughters differently with their emotions and their friendship issues. As far as one, one thing from the book, um, I think one of the biggest things also, I, I find a lot of girls, and I'm sure you do too today, a lot of girls are really stressed and anxious. And this is this was pre-COVID. I think COVID added another layer, but I think even pre-COVID, and we've been seeing a lot more anxiety in girls and more stress. And a lot of, there's been a lot of pressure on girls, I think, differently in the last 10 or so years. And I think one of the, one of the problems that girls are facing is we've, we're trying to squish all of them onto this one narrow standard path. You get straight A's in school, get the best best sports teams, the best club teams. You have to go to a top college, go to top college, get a good job, get get a good job so you can make a lot of money. That's kind of this lineage. If I ask a high school girl, you know, why they want to get good grades, they will tell me that whole line. And so what I want for girls is I want them to start thinking more for themselves. Like when I see girls in my counseling practice in in there in high school, I'll say, you have any idea what you're going to do after high school? And a lot of them will look at me like I'm an idiot, like I'm going to college, right? And I'll say, why do you want to go to college? And it's interesting. Like half of them say, well, I want to get a, go to a top college and get a good job, make a lot of money, which I know came right from their parents and whatever. And the other half of them look at me blankly like, I, I don't know, because I've never thought about that. Why do you like playing soccer? Why do you like being in theater? If you want to go to college, why? What kind of grace do you want? I want all A's. Well, why do you want all A's? I, I don't know. <laughs> I've never thought about it other than pleasing my parents not wanting to disappoint my parents. So I want girls to start learning to do things 
for their reasons, to be more interdirected. I think it does help them become a, a different kind of leader if they're more interdirected than if they're if they're doing things to not disappoint people or to please people or just to get votes or whatever it might be someday. So I think that interdirected piece is really important. Yes. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you about now this topic for a whole nother half hour, right? Because I hear you and I'm like, yes, yes. And then I think about certain things. Now this is my parent hat where I'll say like, for instance, my daughter is a really great runner. And so some days like this morning, she was like, oh, I wish there wasn't practice today and I don't want to go. And I was just like, oh no, you're going like you're going and that's that. And you just get your shoes and pack it up and go. And so you can leave us hanging. But that that's the one thing that I always think is where's the balance of I'm guiding you because I could tell you why cross country is important to me, right? There's a, it provides the structure. Yeah. It's good socializing, great coach, all these things. But, you know, the balance between being a parent and letting them make some choices and then, you know, also just saying, no, in this case, I'm making the choice because I think I know what's best, you know? Yeah. Well, but, but along the way, you have to start letting go of knowing what's best for them. And yeah. I think when they're five years old, obviously you do. But when they're 16, 17, 18, and they're getting ready to go off into the world to do something, then it's really important that they start thinking more in terms of, I need to know what's best for me. My parents love me. They, they've known me for 18 years and they have an opinion, but I need to start thinking more in terms of, but what's right for me? And that takes practice too, learning how to get quiet, to go inside and kind of check it out and those sorts of things. And, and for your daughter too, besides talking to her at another time about why she loves cross country, because if she gets in touch more with that motivation about what it's really about for her. It's also about sometimes it is hard. You don't feel like running that day. And so it's, it becomes a have to or a should. So sometimes for them, it's more like a mental gymnastics about how can I make this a one to? Um, because this. if it's a one to is a lot more motivating than they're making me or I have to or whatever. Right. No, I love that. And I love yeah. even just the categories, just introducing that as like, some things in life are want to's, some things are have to's, and some things are should's. And um, we should be thinking about maybe what bucket to place that in. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's been great talking to you, Dr. Tim Jordan. I really enjoyed your book. And Girls Who Lead, it's a quick read. It is gets right down to just the practicality, has good stories. You're clearly a great storyteller. I would highly suggest anybody raising a girl or teaching or being an educator, working with girls in any capacity to really read it. I loved it. So thanks so much for coming on. And um, people can just go to your website, Dr. Tim Jordan, to find your book and your class and all the fun things that you're up to. And I thank you for being a guest. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you today for listening to Dr. Cheryl's podcast. And please rate, review, and subscribe when you're done listening. Take care.